A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity, when and where they need it. Tuesday morning, the 5th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. As you know, the Minister for Justice faces a motion of no confidence tabled by Sinn Féin in her today. Look, I'm confident I have the support of colleagues. Uh, I really think that this is a distraction from the huge amount of work that needs to be done. Uh, and as you'll see from Cabinet today, I'm getting on with my work uh, and there's a huge amount to be done, yeah. Ella McEntee speaking this morning on her way into a meeting of uh, the Cabinet, reflecting on the Dublin riots with praise for the Garda response. I think the Garda responded uh, in a really exceptional way. Uh, I think the way in which they maintained such a uh, possibly dangerous situation um, was excellent uh, and obviously I will receive a further full report from the Garda Commissioner in time but there will always be lessons that need to be learned but I certainly think the Garda responded in the most appropriate way possible at the time. And today despite this Sinn Féin motion against her, Minister McEntee says she is focused on tackling crime with this message for the Kinahan drug cartel. I've been busy for the last three years working on not just safety in Dublin but uh, on many other issues today I will bring to Cabinet um, uh, a request to support um, uh, negotiations to open up with the UAE. Um, I think one of the greatest successes of Angarda Siakon in recent years has been the development of international law enforcement coalitions uh, and so we will begin talks with the UAE on an extradition treaty on mutual legal assistance and this will mean that uh, anybody who thinks that they can evade the law in other jurisdictions, uh, that they won't be able to do so in the future. And this is just one of the measures that I'm bringing to Cabinet today. But I have been working closely with people right across the city centre here in Dublin to make sure that they are safe, that they feel safe uh, and that our city is a welcoming city for everyone. The Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, speaking to this morning. Let's speak now to Gavin Riley, political correspondent with Virgin Media News and a columnist with the Mead Chronicle. Good morning, Gavin. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Sinn Féin has tabled a motion of no confidence in Minister McEntee, uh, but it will be a motion of confidence in the Minister that will end up being debated, I believe. Yeah, the, the usual routine that happens whenever there's a motion of no confidence is that the government supersedes it by tabling a motion of confidence in itself. So rather than leaving Sinn Féin with a two-hour slot where they can pack the slot full of, min- uh, of uh, opposition spokespersons who can say whatever it is that they want and basically uh, exploit the dull time, uh, the government will will supersede that by tabling a motion of confidence in itself, which largely means, of course, that the government gets a bigger share of speaking time so that you can have a whole range of ministers, junior ministers and uh, government backbenchers all lining up to say how happy they are with the government's response and the handling of crime overall and how broadly confident they are uh, with Helen McEntee. So instead of it being a motion of no confidence where if it were passed she'd be forced to go, 
It is a motion of confidence, which just merely asks if everyone is okay with her staying in the job. Not alone will the 80 coalition TDs uh, all line up behind her to support her. That would, that would already be a majority. Uh, but from the call around that I was doing yesterday, at least eight other independents also indicating that they will side with her, including the House TD, Peter Fitzpatrick, uh, which means that when push comes to shove, she will have a comfortable, comfortable majority and there is no question at all of the door forcing her out of her job today. What will that mean for Sinn Féin? Um, that is an interesting question, uh, and we might get into a minute as to the real motives as to why mm. Sinn Féin might actually have done this. And this is something that I'm writing about this week in the Mead Chronicle, and people might get to see that a little bit later today. Uh, what it means for Sinn Féin, on the face of it, is defeat. I mean, if the attention was for Sinn Féin uh, to effectively remove a minister from the post, you might argue that it was an overreaction or that it was the wrong call. But that's a parliamentary system. If you think that a minister shouldn't be allowed to stay there anymore, you're entirely within your rights to table a motion of no confidence, and that's fine. Ostensibly, on that front, it is a defeat. I suppose what it might mean, at least, is that it does uh, once again continue the fallout from all of this, and that even though the government might come out reinforced or with a sense of security, it does mean that uh, the story about the Dublin riots, which might otherwise have ebbed away last week, does ebb into a third week, and it does mean that maybe there is the perception of there being vulnerability, and instead of this all being yesterday's news, here we are on Tuesday morning talking about Helen mm. McAtee and her performance, and maybe that was the whole point all along, to, to, to continue the conversation at least. Okay. Uh, Sinn Féin, of course, would say that it's an opportunity to highlight uh, deficits uh, in the performance of a minister. Uh, It's not a question of necessarily winning the vote, especially when you're in opposition and uh, you've uh, minority support. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and that is the, the nature of, of parliamentary politics is that, you know, the, gov- the government will always win every vote. If the government wasn't winning votes, then it wouldn't be a government anymore. That, that's how you define mm. a government, it's the people who can win votes. So Sinn Féin, you know, by, by its nature, of course, they will say, well, you know, dull time is all that we have to call people to account. The doll the is the best forum to do this, so we are totally within our rights to do that. Now, of course, they didn't have to table a motion of uh, confidence or mm. no confidence to do that. In fact, they had already indicated last Thursday before they decided on Friday that this was the, mo- the route they were going to go down. They'd already indicated that they were going to use their private doll time this evening for something on the justice theme anyway. So we already knew that it was going to be two hours of discussion around the government's handling of justice and law and order issues and the government's fitness to do all of that. You could argue that they didn't need uh, to go down the nuclear option of trying to remove Hannah McEntee, but but so they did, and, and here we are now. And how do you read it? Uh, do you think this has backfired on Sinn Féin if you take into account uh, the opinion poll in uh, the Sunday Independent? Uh, most people in the country uh, believe that uh, Helen McEntee should remain as Minister for Justice. Yeah, what was fascinating is that that poll was Sunday Independent. You can never take one poll in isolation as gospel, but that's two polls now uh, in two successive weekends, one from Red Sea and one from Ireland Thinks, both of which have shown Sinn Féin support falling in the last couple of weeks in the aftermath of those Dublin riots. Now, whether it is specifically the riots themselves that might have caused that, I, mean, I, I suspect that's probably not the case. But I do think it's interesting that Sinn Féin has found itself almost pigeonholed into going down this route, firstly because the very day after uh, the incident in Dublin and the, and the disorder and the rioting and, of course, uh, the stabbing. And we're still thinking of the, the, the two victims who remain in hospital as a result of all of that. Um, it is... Uh, there's been an argument that Sinn Féin really boxed itself into a corner by, by declaring no confidence in Helen McEntee and Drew Harris on the very next day. I mean, one can argue... Yes, Drew Harris and the policing response, the under-resourcing of the guards, the, the fairly hands-off approach to far-right protesting up until now, that, that's certainly a point of grievance. Whether you can hold Helen McEntee responsible for that when there's no sense of the guardy 
uh, you know, being denied anything they've wanted up till now. I think that's an interesting and open question. There's also a view among many in Leinster House that the Sinn Féin has boxed itself into this corner uh, because of their approach last Wednesday. People might remember, they might have heard the, the reporting around this, they might have seen it on the news. Louise O'Reilly, the Sinn Féin TD, uh, held in the Dáil Chamber last Wednesday uh, a photocopy of a photograph of a man sitting on the same doorstep last Tuesday where the stabbings had occurred five days previously. Now, the man in the photograph is sort of semi-passed out. Obviously, it's only a still photograph. We don't know what sort of state he was in. But he's slouched on the doorstep uh, drinking from a can of beer. And the, the presentation that was made by Sinn Féin in the Dáil Chamber and uh, on Mary Lou McDonald's Twitter account earlier that morning was that the parents collecting children from Gwales School, Colossal would still be presented with this. This was the sort of thing that they wouldn't want to see. And that this, therefore, proved, in their words that policing in Dublin was, was pretty lax and that, you know, in any other self-respecting city, you'd have more guards around in the aftermath of an event like that so as to keep undesirables away. Now, this was immediately seized on by, by large elements of the media and by many in Dáil Éireann as being opportunistic, that, that this is Sinn Féin who made no effort to conceal the identity of the person in this picture, um, that they were weaponising possible homelessness, that they were weaponising someone who may have addiction troubles, and that's a a reasonable prospect if they were sitting drinking beer from a, a school school steps in the middle of a day. Um, and that Sinn Féin was therefore making a political football out of someone who had some troubles of their own without any concern or empathy for, for that person's well-being. Now, Sinn Féin, of course, denies that's the case. But there is a bit of a perception that having sort of lost the PR war last week or this unforced error by, by manipulating a photograph of somebody who might have been in a vulnerable situation and using it to political end, um, that actually Sinn Féin had to re-seize the narrative or try and reclaim the agenda in some way and maybe that's why uh, they found themselves using this this option even though they knew that it was ultimately destined for failure at least now mm. we're talking about this and not about Sinn Féin's use of that picture last week Alright, tell me about Eamon Ryan would you uh, because I'm at a, a loss as to why he may have been coming home from COP28 uh, you say you believe the government will have a majority of at least eight today. Uh, the Irish Independent, uh, I think, is saying at least a dozen votes uh, will uh, be the type well, of... Yeah, it, 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 it'll, it'll end up almost being 20 because for every vote the government wins, of course, there's another vote the government doesn't. So the government mm. or the, the opposition at maximum, I think, can win about 69 or 70 votes. So it will be a pretty comfortable margin in the end. But okay. yeah, so what, mm. why, why was Aim Ryan coming home if mm. they were going to win it anyway? Well, I suppose the, 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 the principle of confidence motions. You have to bear in mind that confidence motions have more significance than other votes that the Dáil might take at any given time because a confidence motion is tantamount to whether somebody should remain in office or whether they should be sacked. And the usual rule for confidence motions is that TDs are only allowed to be absent or their absence is only tolerated if they are ill. So, for example, you'll have uh, the Clare Finnegal TD, Joe Carey, uh, had a hospital stay a few months ago, isn't fully back at work yet, is basically not, not well enough to be able to routinely attend the door chamber. He's going to miss this evening's vote. So one opposition TD who is going to vote uh, the other way to him will basically not participate in the vote. They will attend themselves, basically, to, to sort of address mm. that balance. And there's there's good rational reasons to this, because... The nature of government and the nature of being in power means that you often just have to be abroad for work. You have to be down the country, you have to be travelling, there's there's EU meetings every couple of days. Mm. Somebody is always abroad. The environment minister has to be at COP28, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The the environment minister should be a participant in those negotiations on some sort of global climate treaty. That's a, a fairly straightforward thing. But if you only had a government which, for argument's sake, had a bare bones majority, let, let's say every one of those independent TDs was going to uh, vote against the government and they were only going to win by 80 votes to 79, 
Well, if Eamon Ryan was absent and nobody was paired with him or nobody was going to abstain to, to recognise his absence, you'd have a situation where the government could be collapsed simply because ministers were abroad doing their jobs. So you have to have this pairing situation where there needs to be some allowance made for people going away doing their jobs. Traditionally speaking, a confidence vote is seen as being so significant that even somebody going abroad for work is not a tolerated excuse. That if you're you know, going abroad on some jaunt or you're on a, a trade mission or you're in Brussels, someone else can take your place. You have to come back because you've got urgent business in the door. What has prevailed, though, in this situation is that because he is the Minister for Climate, because he's negotiating a climate deal, and because him flying home would require him to take a direct flight from Dubai to Dublin, walk through a lobby in the door, or, or answer a roll call vote, and then turn around and fly back again, uh, the Social Democrats thought that the carbon emissions from all of that, it would be just be such a self-defeating exercise that in this instance, they would offer him a pair. So the climate spokesperson, Jennifer Whitmore, is not going to participate in this evening's vote in recognition of the fact that Eamon Ryan wasn't going to be there otherwise. Mm. Had she not offered that, the government would have found itself in a situation where Eamon Ryan is trying to preach to people about the need for climate responsibility uh, and trying to lead those negotiations, but then taking a long-haul flight back from Dubai to Dublin uh, and vice versa simply for what might be five minutes of dull business. And yeah. that would be very constructive. OK, well, of course, there was lots of reasons why people opportunistically rioted and looted uh, uh, in Dublin Thursday week ago, uh, but it was all fuelled by far-right hatred. Uh, and indeed, over the course of uh, the last week or so, we've been hearing about a number of incidents in Dublin. Uh, and one of uh, the most concerning uh, before the riots was uh, the burning of ten uh, that uh, refugees or mm. asylum seekers uh, were sleeping in. We're seeing that again. 32 people uh, sent uh, away to sleep on the streets yesterday. And that will be the case for the foreseeable future with all men coming to this country. Undoubtedly, this will be discussed by Cabinet and a proposal to increase the money given to people in that situation to €75. Euro. Yeah, and, and that's supposed to be a recognition that basically the government cannot find accommodation, so at least wants to do something to try and, and soften the, the the load of people who are coming to the country seeking asylum. Because, as you say, the government acknowledging yesterday that effectively, for now at least, it has exhausted all options, that there might be other prospective accommodation coming on stream in the next week or two. And I did, by the way, I clarified that with the government yesterday. This isn't the case of they are now completely at the end of the line. There are some more options up their sleeve, but they will take a couple of weeks to, to bring into the system. So in the meantime, any single men, women and children will be prioritised for the accommodation that they have, but any unaccompanied or single men will effectively be given a sleeping bag or a tent and be told we have nowhere else for you to go. Uh, and the €75 Euro is something of an olive branch to at least try and soften that. Now, whether they can use the money for, for more hot food or to try and find it to find some, some bed in a hostel, I, I don't know exactly what money is supposed to do in those circumstances. It's not like you can get a hotel with, with that money. So I, I don't really know what the, the purpose of it is other than maybe as something of a token gesture to recognise um, that the state isn't able to house them. Um, this is something, of course, that the government was, was warned about in the last couple of weeks and something the government has known about for a while. Uh, you might remember a few weeks back the, the row that there was at Cabinet because uh, Roderick O'Gorman was trying to uh, lower the amount of time that Ukrainians might be guaranteed accommodation should they come here. And then there was a debate around, well, what does that mean for the schooling of Ukrainian children and, and is that fair and is that appropriate? That was a recognition then that the state was sort of getting to the end of the line accommodation-wise. That up until now, we've always known there was line of sight and you know another hotel that might be on the cusp of signing a deal to be used for uh, for ukrainian uh, arrivals or for international protection applicants asylum seekers um it looks like although the government still has some options 
that they're beginning to get to the end of the line on that. That was clearly signalled by that row over Ukraine a couple of weeks ago, and now now here we are with the, mm. the chickens coming home to roost with people now sleeping on the streets at a time when the temperatures are teetering at zero. Okay, and we hope they won't be uh, attacked, assaulted, or burnt out of uh, their homes, albeit the tense uh, that they'll have to call their homes on the streets of uh, Dublin in the coming days. We leave it there for the moment. Gavin, thank you indeed for joining us as always. Gavin Riley, political correspondent with Virgin Media News and a columnist with uh, the Mead Chronicle. If you'd like to comment on our programme today, let me give you the phone number so that you know how to do that. It's 041-983-2000 if you want to ring us. That's 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658. 086-1800-658 if you want to text us or WhatsApp your text and you can email michael at lmfm.ie. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Well, because of uh, that pairing with uh, Jennifer Whitmore of uh, the Social Democrats, Eamon Ryan, the Green Party leader, will stay in Dubai for the COP28 discussions. But what can be achieved? This industry is way more effective at capturing politicians than they are at capturing emissions. And they have captured uh, the COP process itself now and overreached, uh, abusing the public's trust by naming the CEO uh, of one of the largest and least responsible oil companies in the world uh, as head of the COP. Uh, It's an abuse uh, of the public's right to have confidence in the the processes by which the decisions about humanity's future are made. Right, that's Al Gore, uh, former American vice president and indeed long-time climate change activist, very critical of uh, Dr. Sultan Ahmed Al-Jabbar being the president of COP28. Uh, Al-Jabbar made headlines across uh, the world because of his interaction with the former Irish president, Mary Robinson, which we heard on the programme yesterday when he said that there is no science out there or no scenario out there that says the phase out of fossil fuel is going to achieve 1.5 Celsius. Because uh, the danger facing humanity is so grave, we can say very simply that there is a a test, uh, a simple test, of whether this uh, COP will be a success or a failure. If there is an agreement to phase out fossil fuels, it will be a success. If there's not, it will be a failure. Sinn Féin's spokesperson on climate action and uh, the environment is Mead East TD. Darren O'Rourke is on the line. Good morning to you, Darren O'Rourke. Thanks for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, Al Gore saying fossil fuels need uh, to be eliminated. Uh, not the view of uh, the president of COP28, one of uh, the most controversial, indeed most worrying statements uh, from a, a participant in one of uh, these global meetings in uh, recent times, at least, if nothing else. Absolutely, and I think it it sets out the the challenge in all of this. Um, and, and, and I think that challenge is, one, to, to recognise the science, and the science is absolutely compelling, um, but two, to, to recognise the politics and that 
to some degree is a far greater hurdle because the the, the challenge in, in, in political terms is to try and reorient uh, whole economies, whole industries, um, and to to challenge uh, fossil fuel states and fossil fuel companies, and they are incredibly, incredibly powerful. We, we have essentially built our economies on them for the last uh, more than 100 years, and they have incredible influence uh, in political systems around the world. Indeed, they they are the state in many, in many cases, including in the United Arab Emirates. And we know at this COP that there is a record number of fossil fuel lobbyists there, over almost two and a half thousand lobbyists. So, so mm. that's common from from Al Gore that they've uh, captured this process. Uh, I think it's 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 hard to disagree with us. Um, indeed, in indeed, before this COP, Mary Robinson was concerned uh, that uh, it may be used to sell oil and uh, other fossil fuels. No, absolutely, and, and that was r- reported, um, uh, uh, I think, by the, by the BBC and maybe others. That um, there's leaked documents that 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 uh, uh, indicated that um, you know that, that 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 there would be opportunity or that, that this COP would be used to uh, further the expansion of fossil fuels, and and you know such is the. Um, the nature of these states, the nature of these actors, the amount of these actors that are that are at this COP, um, you know, their raison d'etre is to make profits on the back of the the, uh, the sale of, of fossil fuels. Um, uh, that that's, it, it is hardly surprising if they're all there together um, that that's that's what's what's going to happen. Uh, what what I think we saw in the exchange with Mary Robinson um, and Sultan Al Jaber was. Uh, outside of the context of COP that happened a couple of weeks ago was was the Sultan saying the the, the quiet bit out loud um, and has rode back some 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 part in the last 24 hours. But really, I think the earlier intervention was a clearer insight to, to the thinking in many of these states. And indeed, we had the, the Saudi Arabian um, uh, uh, energy minister saying that absolutely under no circumstances would there be a, a phase out of fossil fuels. Of course, they have a you know a huge interest in the continuing expansion of of fossil fuels, and uh, um, and that that's that is a, a, a huge problem uh, in, in in climate terms. All right, uh, was this uh, copper? Is this cop uh, more? Uh, about who isn't there rather than about who is there and what has been said. Uh, the absence of Joe Biden is notable, isn't it? Uh, can the world come to uh, an agreement that will successfully stop uh, climate change uh, without uh, the American president there to sign off on it? Yes, it's a very significant absence. And I think, um, you know, I, 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 I probably like a lot of people hold conflicting views in relation to the whole COP process. Uh, it is... A circus. Uh, it's losing credibility year on year, uh, particularly when it's hosted by petrol states. Um, uh, there is a very significant element of greenwashing and, uh, you know, saying one thing and doing another. Um, I think all of that is true. It's also true to say that it is the best process that we have. It's, it's practically the only show in town. Um, 
I think it's, you know, it is an effort in diplomacy, but ultimately the measure in any of these things, and Al Gore pointed towards statements in relation to fossil fuels, mm. it, it, for, for me it's about commitments in terms of financing, but also commitments in terms of policy. The European Union need to be a senior player there. The, the United States, the same. When they're not in the room, you know, it, it certainly limits the, 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 the type of decisions that, that can be made. Um, to some degree, I think this COP needs to be about, you know, securing uh, commitments in, in loss and damage funding. So that's, you know, supporting those countries in the global south who are at the coal face mm. in, in relation to climate change. And, um, and, and, and you know, moving forward in terms of commitments around uh, the Paris Agreement, there's going to be the first global stock take. So essentially an assessment of where we are globally relative to our, our Paris Agreement commitments mm. from, from 2015. But is that loss and damage fund not a, a, a cop-out? Is it not a, a get-out-of-jail uh, card in that countries that are saying we won't stop using fossil fuels, uh, we'll just pay our way out of it uh, because we are going to use them no. and as a result of that we'll give money to poorer countries? No, no. the loss and damage funding is a really important part. It's almost like... Uh, uh, um, reparations. Uh, the the cop-out, and there is a very significant cop-out, is in any of these trading schemes that they're coming up with, and the Saudis or, or the, 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 the United Arab Emirates are pushing one in relation to uh, blue carbon, they're calling it. We have our own European uh, trading mechanism, uh, the, 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 the STS, uh, or, uh, in relation to carbon credits. Um, they, uh, you've heard our own Taoiseach, our own minister, now talk about carbon capture and, and storage. Um, those are all technological or economical uh, fudges and cop-outs. And there is a major problem with each and every one of those. There is a place for some of them. I think there is a place for, for some element of carbon capture and storage. But the, the risk in relation to all of it is that it is seen by the fossil fuel industry, by countries who int- whose interests are elsewhere, to continue with business as usual, to make no real effort uh, to reduce emissions and to try to offset or pay their way out of it. And that simply won't work. We will pay in the in the long run in terms of the, the impact on our environment and, and everything that goes with that. Okay. That. You're, you're not uh, particularly optimistic, though, uh, that we'll see tangible results following on from COP28. I'm uh, being perfectly frank, Michael, I'm, I'm not. I, I would be deeply concerned. Uh, I, I think the way we have to measure these things is in action, not in terms of, of words. I think the, the, um, the, the, that exchange with the, the, the president of COP was a perfect example for me. Um, outside of the context of COP, you know, very clear indication that they will continue business as usual. In the context of COP, oh no, we're, we're, we're serious, we recognise the science, and uh, I think by every measure, if we look at, and including in Ireland, if we look at investment in fossil fuels, if we look at the amount of money that's been siphoned through Ireland, um, uh, through banks and uh, institutions based here, in the region of Six billion uh, US dollars worth of uh, um, investments have been made through Irish banks 
two fossil fuel companies in the in the global south and that's simply unsustainable so we we need a complete orienta- reorientation of our economic model we need a complete reorientation of how our financial institutions invest their money there needs to be penalties in relation to fossil fuels and i just don't see the political will at an international level or at a national level to see that happen and i think um until we see that uh, we're we're going to continue along the path of you know uh, setting out targets missing those targets um, okay. and it is, it's a challenge for all of us uh, and, and for future generations Well and for future generations all the more so indeed these talks taking place in Dubai which is said to be the base now for the Kinahan drug cartel isn't it amazing probably disappointing from a Sinn Féin point of view that on the day that you're tabling a motion of no confidence in Helen McEntee the country's focus is on the minister beginning extradition negotiations with the United Arab Emirates, which could impact on serious uh, crime gangs such as uh, the Ginhens. Do you think that Sinn Féin uh, has shot itself in the foot? Uh, did you uh, judge this wrong, uh, bringing this motion against Helen McEntee? No, I, I don't think so, Michael. And I think, um, like to a large degree, w- w- we we had no alternative to be to be frank. Particularly when you look at, you know, the recruitment, the retention, the morale crisis in Nongarda Khan, and that's reflected in the their own vote and no confidence in their own commissioner. And particularly, um, you know, and, and I've been on with yourself talking about Garda numbers and. Uh, anti-social behaviour and crime in County Mead. Um, but when we look at the, the chaos in Dublin City a couple of weeks ago, um, there was complete loss of control. And it seemed to be the case that the only two people who didn't see it coming were the two people with responsibility. That's the, the minister and the commissioner. And in that respect, I, I think in any other circumstances, you know, taking personalities out of it, if it was a, you know, if it was a Sinn Féin government, if it was any other government, the opposition would, uh, given those scenes, given the lack of of, of, of leadership, foresight, management fra- by those in, in political leadership, uh, I think it would be inevitable that emotional confidence would be brought forward. And I think that's that's why we are where we are today. Okay, well, I think you'll agree it's inevitable as well that it'll be defeated, uh, uh, and considerably so. Anywhere between 8 and 20 votes uh, in favour of uh, the government. No, and I think, yeah, like we, we can do the numbers, but like uh, there isn't a week passes in this place, Michael, where Sinn Féin don't lose a, 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 a PMB or a motion. We, we, we do those numbers. Uh, they're, they're very clear, but we have a responsibility in opposition to hold the government to account, um, and we're not going to stop doing that. Okay, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Sinn Féin TD for Me The East. Darren O'Rourke is his party spokesperson on climate action and the environment. Michael at lmfm.ie. The Michael Reed Show with Airgrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Yeah, quite a big, uh, number of people in touch with us uh, this morning. Let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us. One from Bridie, who sounds well pleased with herself. She, uh, Bridie says, I think the drop in Sinn Féin's popularity is because the government is buying our votes with all of the money that we're getting over the past two weeks. €650 and there is more to come. I was going to vote for Sinn Féin but I need the money. Money talks says Bridie. 
who sounds delighted with herself and I'm sure uh, the government parties will be delighted to have heard your text as well for that matter Bridie. Uh, Michael how stupid of the government to send our Minister for the Environment to the UAE uh, according to Betty Daly on a jet not once but twice I wonder will Eamon Ryan use his bike over there or will there be a camel uh, available for the Minister uh, says Betty I'm sure totally tongue in cheek. Uh, Mag Y says Sinn Féin are a thundering disgrace. Uh, that's to do with uh, this motion that's being tabled today. Oliver Dunleer about uh, the refugees. A couple of comments about this uh, that I'll read together. She says, this is Olive, uh, first of all, Olive and Dunleer. She says, the government is flooding the country with refugees and fair play to them. But what about our own sleeping on the streets in Dublin for years? Uh, Thanks, Olive. Claire, thank you as well. Claire's in County Mead. And she says, Michael, why is our government hell-bent on getting accommodation for asylum seekers? Have they forgotten about the 13,000 homeless people in dreadful rooms here, there and everywhere. Our, lo- our lovely country is slipping into disarray, says Claire. Thank you uh, for that, Claire and Olive. And I, I know that uh, people uh, do wonder why uh, we are taking in so many refugees or why we are finding accommodation for them or why we might be about to give them the €75 when we're told that the government has nowhere for them to stay so they'll be sent away with a a sleeping bag or a sleeping bag in a a tent and €75 and best of luck to you. Uh, Well, uh, I, I think the questions about the homeless Irish people are valid but don't forget that homeless Irish people have somewhere to stay. Uh, there is nobody on the streets who doesn't want to be on the streets. Uh, uh, anybody uh, who's sleeping rough uh, has chosen to do so uh, uh, and that is uh, for the most part uh, that there should be accommodation available for anybody who is homeless whether that's a hotel, B&B or a hostel as the case may be uh, and uh, we'd some other comments then that came in about the 75 euro uh, that uh, people uh, will receive uh, as a, a result of uh, that. Uh, somebody, for example, said, um, do the homeless people from Ireland get that 75 euro? Uh, that was John Conlon and Bally McKenney. I think, John, they get 220 euro, don't they? Uh, And they probably uh, have a hotel or a hostel to go to. uh, And God knows, uh, I mean, we've talked about all of that so many times on the programme and uh, how we should be doing better than having 13, nearly 14,000 people, is it, who are homeless in this country at this stage? Um, But nobody chooses... To, um, or, or nobody has to sleep on the streets. Anybody who's sleeping on, on the streets uh, who is an Irish-born uh, person who is homeless uh, usually has somewhere to say temporary accommodation. The problem now is that they've run out of temporary accommodation and uh, when people come here fleeing dreadful situations, uh, I mean, we're looking at it every day on the television uh, and there's problems like that all over the world and people are fleeing from war and fleeing for their lives, quite basically, coming here, hoping to get refuge. Uh, they're the people that we're talking about. It has nothing to do with uh, the Irish people who have found themselves homeless. I hope that makes sense. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's an argument that can be won uh, with a, a lot of people. 
Uh, any minister that says immediately after an unprovoked attack on a tourist that Dublin's streets are safe is not knowledgeable on situations that can arise, according to another caller. Thanks indeed for that. It's a very sweeping statement. I, I think you could be walking down um, the back roads of Killarney and be attacked by some nutter. I don't think that means that Killarney isn't safe anymore and it's the same in Dublin. You're going to have uh, attacks of all sorts on people all of the time. Uh, I'm not sure that that holds up but thank you indeed uh, for uh, your comment to the programme. A lot of people in touch. Deirdre in Kells uh, after watching the 9 o'clock news uh, and a guide dog being refused to entry uh, into uh, a restaurant, I think it was. Uh, she says that's not right. Uh, something should be done to highlight that. Uh, uh, somebody else uh, saying, um, quoting me, saying the burning of vehicles and looting of designer uh, trainers was all caused by far right hatred. Yes, thank you um, for that. Uh, I think that was the situation, wasn't it? It was the far right hatred that led to, to the opportunistic looters. Anyway, I'll come back to some more of the comments. Lots of them coming in this morning. I'm glad to say, and I hope uh, we'll get some more because uh, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 086. 1-800-658 email michael at lmfm.ie 086-1800 National Grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it Now to the bypassing of Slane Village uh, long held aspiration will it ever be realised let's speak uh, to local Fianna Fáil councillor Wayne Harding who has come in to us uh, this morning good morning to you Wayne and thanks uh, indeed for joining us we are a step closer although we've said that before many times over in the past but a, a fresh planning application has been submitted yeah and um I would be very hopeful um, for the, this to see to see it completed. Of course, there has been many false dawns, and um, there has been a campaign, and people have dedicated huge parts of their lives to to campaigning for the Slane Bypass. Um, it is complex. It goes across the River Boyne, and um, the last time it was refused in relation to the viewshed of the World Heritage Site. Those issues have been addressed. If I have one real regret, it's that um, there was a recommendation from the inspector at the last oral hearings to look for further information on it. Uh, the board, in their wisdom, uh, refused it outright, and it had to go back to the start. That that that. Look at it, it's in the past now. Those issues have been addressed. It's a very, very tight application. Mm. Um and I'm 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 really, really hopeful um that this it, it's still it's still a long mm. way away. Yeah. But um there's a lot of things have a lot of good things have happened uh, in relation to, to the Boyne and, and, and I'll I'll talk about that in a minute. But mm-hmm. uh, the Slane Bypass, it's not just the Slane Bypass. I think this is very important. This application is Slane Bypass and the public realm. So they're justifying quite okay, you take a road out of a village but how does that village improve uh, post the bypass and the public realm and the streetscape and planting and um, it's it's really impressive it, it, now it is a beautiful vi- village mm. as it is mm. but it's very very uh, chocker block with traffic but if you take the traffic out and start looking at at the streetscape and how you can how you can make it a very attractive place for people to come um, I think it's a no brainer this time okay but uh, it must be over 20 years uh, that people have been talking about well, some, some will say even longer yeah. um, but certainly um, 
the the last application was two thousand. It was a refusal in two thousand and twelve. Um, there was a very sad and, and tragic accident in two thousand and one, which is over twenty years ago, mm-hmm. uh, where momentum built. Uh, there, there was a young child killed in the village, and momentum built a lot after that. There was a very uh, serious accident with no fatalities in two thousand and nine. Um, so it's it's ongoing, but mm. it, but people will tell you that there was plans for it, uh, forty years ago. Never mind twenty. Right, okay. um, mm. But and and the and the village has suffered, and the and mm. village life has suffered. It's a it's a beautiful, picturesque mm. um, estate village, and uh, it's it's really and and ever increasing traffic, and mm. and and the and the traffic and counts. ever increasing HGV traffic for that. Yes, uh, well, all types, yeah. but yes, and yeah. and HGV, and there was and there was and there is near misses, and there's constantly yeah. near misses, and there's always a sense of danger. The the, the national school in Slane sits on the N two. Every child that, that goes to that school must enter the N two mm. to get to it. Uh, no matter where they come from, yeah. and um, uh, there was a there was a, a, a blurry and only for her, the brilliance of the driver, it, it, it lost control uh, at the top of the hill in the square, and uh, went down, um, mounted the footpath to get by, stopped traffic at the traffic gantries that are there twenty years mm. now, um, and got down by them and came to a stop on the bridge and people who witnessed that said it was miraculous, it was brilliant driving. Um but that's not that mm. long ago. That's mm. within yeah. the last year. And the last application that. failed though because of how the route would have encroached on the Bruna Boyne World Heritage Site. Yeah, but it wasn't wasn't the only concern that people had. Uh, because uh, if you redirect traffic it can have all sorts of consequences uh, and the problems that Slane has presently can be replicated elsewhere. Um well I think if if you because the um one of the solutions was uh, a removal of tolls and and, and uh, that that's locked in on, on, on the M1 and and I think that people realize that and there has been there has been traffic models um the the traffic has been counted on the M1 um in in relation to this and 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 traffic dispersal a bypass will just take the traffic out of Slane village there there has been numerous arguments against it but like this is this is a six hundred year parts of the bridge at Slane are six hundred years old. Uh, it's it's a one way system. It's it's a national route. Um, this is only a three point five kilometer scheme that will will take the traffic off that bridge mm. and out of the village. Um, to me, it's a no brainer. And and as people will know, the M one is, is 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 filling up. Uh, the N two in its entirety has its own problems. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you hear many people talk about Kilmoon. Mm. Um but Slane Slane particularly has 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 the fatalities and, and those white crosses at the bridge that, mm-hmm. that, that reminds people of the danger. Absolutely, the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so t- tell us about the route uh, uh, as uh, yeah, so it's, if, if, it's hoped for at this stage. Yeah, so so um, it it the the if you if you were uh, to go to the south side of of Slane Village, um, just before. Just, just as you as you exit the village and, and head up and take a left for the um, the interpret centre at Brunabonia, there would be a roundabout there that would take you just out in through the fields and come down out the back of grasslands. It's three point five kilometres, and they've they've brought it closer uh, to the original through the bridge that's there now and that takes care of the issues that were around the world heritage site this is moving further away from the world heritage site i believe 
Um, I, I most certainly believe that um, both the Slane Bypass and the World Heritage of uh, Brunabonia, which is such an important mm. monument, can coexist and, and can complement each other. Okay. I, I do believe that. All right, so what's the time frame now? Yeah, uh, because we're talking about six months, a year, two years yeah, before the application is heard, presuming it's successful. Then what? Uh, because government has to provide funding if this is going to be built. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, well, the, the next step is oral hearings. Um, and I would hope that they are progressed as quickly as, as the board possibly can. And, you know, there, there, there's so much talk and backlog in the board. This is such an important infrastructure project. So we say six months and then look at the, the board making a decision over 12 months after that. So that's 18 months for a decision. And then, of course, you're mm. asking about funding. And uh, the Minister for Transport himself said that um, we may not build all the roads mm. that we have aspirations to build, but the ones that we would prioritise are the ones where you take traffic out of towns and um, there's a benefit for everyone. And I believe that that fits all of the criteria so but but the most important thing is there's funding now mm. for this stage yeah so mm. and then it gets to planning and then you go take the village take the traffic out of slain village and and and, and make it become uh, uh, the jewel of the crown in the Boyne valley um because there is huge amount of works going on in relation to the Boyne greenway and you would be if you bypass lane you would be replacing that N2 traffic of HGVs and cars coming up into the village from the river with a cycle and pedestrian route off one of the finest greenways in the country, I believe. Now, mm. we're talking a decade. Mm. Yeah. But but we're t- but the building blocks are there. You've known mm. about the purchase at Dowd Hall, and, um, which is a fabulous state purchase. The council have, have purchased um, the Spices building at the other end in Navan. Mm. And um, I was on a delegation to Waterford um, only a couple of years ago in 2019 where we met the Waterford County Manager and he talked about how Dungarvan had transformed because mm. of the Greenway and the villages along it, Kilmeen and, and, and so on. And, and and he gave us three hours of his time. Um, the same ap- ambition is to deliver a buying Greenway with the World Heritage Site that I'm after talking about, yep. Slane Village mm. and on to Navan. Um, I believe there's building blocks being put in place. Slane, the, the Slane Bypass is one of those building blocks that will have one of the finest mm. tourist destinations in the country. That could run from Betty Sand Beach to Trim. Betty Sand Beach to Trim. It's exactly the same length, it's same distance as the Washford Greenway. Mm. Uh, it's 46 kilometres. That would, be, this a good, particular that would track, be a good walk now. <laughs> it would be a fantastic walk. Mm. And I, I don't think you'll get as much mm. rich heritage in, in the country as there is along that walk. Um, they, they, we were we were made a presentation of an emerging route for the Boyne Greenway yesterday, and that's that's twenty six kilometres. That's from the gates of the Battle of the Boyne side at Oldbridge mm. to Navan, and um, and it brings in Slane Village, um, the World Heritage Site, the Battle of the Boyne site, and the Lands at Doubt. The Lands at Doubt have as that has just recently been purchased by the state has a mile of of that river waterfront. Okay. So. Yeah, I think it's I, t- I I really do. I'm really so excited about this. Yeah. I, well, it's I've, I learned to swim in the river Boyne, um, and and my children go there in the summer. My father learned to swim, I, and I know from just going to school the importance of the monuments and everything that's there. 
I think we're unlocking something really big. Okay, well, quite possibly and, so. And making slaves. No guarantees, though. No guarantees, no guarantees but quite possibly but, so. But we, we must, if, if, you, if you say something yeah. won't happen, then it won't. Okay. We must keep trying. Yeah, but it, it may happen, as you say, in a decade from now. Oh, all the, all yeah. the blocks. Yeah. Uh, the, and the bypass yeah. will, t- will yeah. take seven years, I mm, think. At least, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Okay, Wayne. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for coming in to us. Good Thanks, to see you, as always. That's uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor on Mead County Council, Wayne Harding. 086-1800-658 The Michael Reed Show brought to you by Airgrid managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it LMFM's Diary If you have a community, social or charity event contact our Classifieds Department on 1850 715 958 or email info at lmfm.ie The LMFM Community Diary in association with Moorhall Lodge Nursing Homes RD Balbriggan and Drogheda where our residents are at the heart of everything we do Live life to the full in a wonderful family environment at Moorhall Drogheda For more information log on to moorhallliving.ie it's a spin and win this Christmas for a 1,000 euro gift card from Navin Town Centre. With every 50 euro spend, you will receive an entry form to enter the weekly prize draw with a chance to spin and win up to a 1,000 euro gift card for Navin Town Centre. So shop local this Christmas and in doing so, you're supporting local jobs. Christmas. Make it a Christmas dinner to remember with Dunn Stores. Serve up the stars of your table with board beer quality assured Irish meats. Like 20% off a show-stopping, easy-carve Irish ham and succulent roast turkey. Available nationwide from Tuesday the 19th of December. Plus, with a 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used on next grocery shop of €50 or more. John Malone here. If you're looking for real choice, leave diesel behind and make the move to Toyota Hybrid Electric at Malone's Toyota, Navin and Drada. World-leading hybrid electric technology. Lower emissions driving with the widest choice of hybrid electric models from Ireland's best-selling car brand. With flexible payment options available. Make the move today at Malone's Toyota, Navin and Drada. Toyota, built for a better world. Get hosting this Christmas with Harvey Norman with cashback deals on cooking. Let your oven do the cleaning with the Bosch Series 4 Pyrolytic Cleaning built-in single oven for 729 or 679 after cashback. Speed up your cooking time with the power boost function on the Bosch Series 6 induction hob. Now 729 or 629 after cashback. And with our best prices guaranteed, why shop anywhere else? Hosting this Christmas with Harvey Norman. Cashback via supplier redemption only. Terms and conditions apply. Ask in store or see online for full details. Call Michael now. 041-983-2000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Well, there's many questions about the planning process in this country following last night's RTE Investigates programme. If you were watching it last night, you'll have seen how some people are using the planning system to look for go-away money. Uh, in other words, to drop objections to planning applications. Barry O'Kelly, RTA Investigates reporter, is on the line. And a very good morning to you, Barry, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Congratulations uh, on your report. Uh, an awful lot of work went into this. Uh, indeed, I believe you were working on it over a period uh, of six months. Uh, and it centres uh, around two brothers, uh, predominantly, doesn't it? Uh, yes, um 
John and Michal Callahan. Uh, John is is from Kells in County Meath, and Michal is from um, uh, the Mulroney area of um, which is near Westport in County Mayo. And um, there are two guys who have done rather well out of the pine appeal system. Mm. Uh, Tell us uh, about how uh, they go about their business, if you would, please. Well, they they submit appeal observations uh, to uh, pine applications, and they're not particularly... Well, we know from our recordings that um, certainly John Callahan would prefer if the if the if the prior application uh, is successful um and he then talks about how he then appeals that those the those grants of planning permission to onboard Panola and unfortunately there's such a delay in onboard Panola at the moment that someone who has is a subject of this appeal can wait up to a year for the appeal to be heard regardless of the credibility of those appeals. Mm-hmm. So for so for the developer at that point, it's a it's an extremely vulnerable position to be in. Bogged um, down in the planning process, uh, I think is the turn of phrase uh, that we've heard many times over. Uh, it takes an eternity, it would seem, uh, because of uh, appeals like this, quite often made on environmental grounds. Yes, and that they, I mean, you look at the appeals and they seem quite credible. But the issue is the motivation behind these appeals. And our evidence showed that the guys were more interested in the compensation they might receive for withdrawing the appeal than the environmental concerns themselves. Right. Uh, Which has proved to be lucrative for them, I think. Yes. I mean, the the, the sums involved range from €10,000, €11,000 to to €50,000. And on one occasion... What they wanted. Now, I have to emphasize it's the developer who ultimately makes the proposal, but then haggling takes place. And in the haggling scenario, in 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 one particular case, what they wanted was uh, a cash payment, and as a as a kind of a guarantee, they also wanted an option to buy two sites in the very developments that they were opposing up until that point. And these are two like valuable sites. Mm. Uh, which they which they could get for a thousand euro each, very. which really exposed what their true intentions were. Okay, uh, and uh, very interesting uh, as well. I'm not sure if you saw the ditch yesterday. Imagine uh, somebody brought it to your attention if you didn't see it yourself, from Barry. But the ditch was uh, reporting that John Callan from Kells ran as a, a Fine Gael candidate in uh, the local elections in 2009, and they quoted John Callan from the Meath Chronicle back in May of 2009, saying that if he was elected to Kells Town Council. One of his priorities would have been restoring faith in the planning process. I imagine that some people will lose some of their faith, at least in the process, after watching your programme last night. Yeah, it was a rather ironic comment, but as I understand it, John Callahan has no involvement in Fine Gael now, and um, he wasn't—he didn't have a particularly significant presence in Fine Gael. He got 51 votes in the local elections. So, um, but yes, it was a uh, somewhat comical uh, campaign slogan when we now know what he's actually involved in.
Okay. Uh, I imagine Richard Hoare would have his own thoughts on that. Uh, This is a developer who was planning to build 59 houses in Drogheda uh, and then came an objection from John Callaghan. Yes. uh, Richard Richard was working on that project for quite some time and uh, he was somewhat bemused when he saw this observation, which didn't seem that that particularly significant at the time, but then he learned a little bit about the Callahans and, well, sorry, about John Callahan, more to the point, and um, he then tried to reason with John Callahan. was, it became clear that there was another issue at hand here and it wasn't necessarily the environmental concerns, and ultimately Richard ended up uh, paying John Callahan in order to have him not move with his plan to put in a kind of appeal. Right, and that delayed the delivery of the 59 houses in Linenfield. Uh, and well, well, it ultimately didn't, because by, by paying, he didn't, he didn't have to endure mm. the misery of a year-long wait in the plan, in the plan appeals process. Mm. But worth, worth paying €10,000 for that pleasure. Uh, which really, uh, it's hard to understand what he got is got for his ten thousand euro. Well, exactly. I mean, it, it, it was um, it was an appeal that didn't happen, and John Callahan was saying, "Oh well, there's all my time involved in this, and who knows about that?" But the reality is that all he had done up, up until that point, physically, is put in an observation which cost you around twenty euros, and that was it. Mm. And he got ten thousand euro at the end of it all. Okay, uh, and um, the two brothers uh, working in tandem on this. Uh, you say that they're serial objectors, uh, and it's not just on projects here. I think one of the projects was in County Cork, uh, much to the amusement of the developer that someone in Kells was that worried about what was being proposed. Well, anyone is entitled to make a plan appeal in any part of the country they like. Um, but it did come as a, quite a surprise because John Callahan lives in Kells, as we said, and uh, Michal lives in Mayo. And this was a development in Watergrass Hill, which is quite a distance away. And when the developer who was on camera talking about this, David Hogan, uh, uh, met the guys and tried to impress, impress upon them the, the merits of the project, um, there was a, a mantra he was greeted with, which is that, well, give us a proposal. And it was a it was a constant refrain that he was hearing. And he then became, well, very concerned because mm. he saw this as not necessarily a, a particularly legitimate uh, appeal. And, mm. But he, he, he on, on that particular occasion, he did not pay. But right now, he is still waiting for his time appeal to be heard. Uh, well, well, what are their planning appeals to be heard? Sure. Uh, many people would have seen it's, the... Kind of, it's, it's, it's 11 months later. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, you did uh, speak to a couple who were waiting to move into their home. This has a real impact on real people's real lives. Well, for those who have a particular impact in these particular sites, yes, of course. So there was a couple we, we spoke to who had... Um, registered a very significant interest in the site in, in Watergrass Hill. It, uh, it, we all know that housing is, is, there's a real crisis there, and in, in their particular uh, situation, 
this is particularly where they want to live. And like the planning appeals process, you know, it, it's a very important thing. Mm. Um, but on this particular occasion, as the programme shows, there was, a, there was a different motivation behind this planning appeal, which was not grounded on genuine, well, on our experts would say, genuine environmental concerns, or rather, rather the, the big motivation was money. Mm-hmm. The concerns went away when the money passed hands. Uh, and what did the Callaghans have to say about this, uh, Michal and John Callaghan, when you told them that you'd been covertly filming them over this period of six months and were about to go to air? Uh, they said that they they um, they did nothing unlawful. Um, and just going back to David Hogan's situation, um, I, I just want to emphasise that, that ultimately... Like, David Hogan was not prepared to pay. And John and Michal Callahan, they never looked for money. They never, they never overtly looked for money. But when all the discussions were taking place, the, all the discussion was about was a proposal. And it, it was coming from the Callahan side. And for, for David Hogan, it, it, it left him feeling, well, what is the real motivation here? And for him and for people watching the program, I can't speak for people watching the program, certainly for our experts, um, it raised very, very serious questions. Okay. Uh, do we know if other people are engaged in this type of activity, uh, given how it's uh, as lucrative as it appears to be? You'd have to imagine uh, that the Callahans are not unique. We're aware of other data, but I mean... It's very hard to speculate until mm. you carry out an investigation to that. Who knows? Certainly the system itself is extremely vulnerable to these kind of appeals. Mm. And I think that's what your programme showed. If there aren't more uh, who are objecting to planning applications in return for go-away money, perhaps after last night's programme, uh, there will be people who think it's a, a good idea. What has been the reaction or has there been political reaction to how this can be shored up? Uh, um, I'll let I'll leave that for the politicians to talk about. Okay, Barry, uh, well done. Uh, it was a real eye opener, uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the program uh, to talk about your investigation. Uh, much appreciated, Barry O'Kelly, RTE Investigates reporter. Let me bring you some more of uh, the comments that have been coming to us now. A text uh, from uh, Ellen who says uh, the biggest mistake Helen McEntee made was walking down O'Connell Street between four Gardaí and saying that Dublin is safe and getting extra protection for themselves. It should be protection for the public who paid them through their taxes, Ellen says. Thank you indeed for your message, as always, to the programme today. Uh, Another message from somebody who says uh, that um, houses are being given to uh, people, uh, quite a number of people uh, in touch with us, uh, who just are, are very adamant uh, that Irish people are treated differently than foreigners. It's not the case. In fact, Irish people are are, um, treated much more favourably than foreigners. Um, They will be if you become homeless tomorrow, you'll be offered some sort of accommodation. You won't be told to sleep in the streets, which is the case now for international protection applicants, uh, at least uh, 
for any men who come to this uh, country. Uh, but as I say, there's a lot of people in touch with us uh, taking umbrage with that. I might come to some more of those comments a, a little bit later on in the programme. But in the meanwhile, if you do want to make comment, we'd love to hear from you. As always, uh, you can uh, give us a, a call today on 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael at lmfm.ie. The Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now to mark International Volunteer Day today, Spirassi is uh, to hold an event around lunchtime. Uh, it's being hosted by the Centre for Forced Migration Studies at Trinity College and it is uh, to celebrate all of those who volunteer with Spirassi especially those who volunteer with Spirassi's befriending service. Grania O'Rourke is a member of the Spirassi board. And a very good morning to you, Grania, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Tell us a a little bit more uh, about uh, the befriending service that Spirassi offers to people coming to this country, if you would, please. Certainly, Michael. And first of all, thank you very much for having me on and giving me the opportunity to tell you about this event and this particular service. So this is quite a unique service, which is offered by Sparassi. As I said, it's called the Befriending Service, and it's supported almost entirely by volunteers. There are one or two staff members who are involved, but it's mostly volunteers. And as you already mentioned, Michael, Today is International Volunteer Day and we wanted to mark that day to give thanks and support to the amazing volunteers for the work that they do for us around the Befriending Service. Um, The service started in 2017 and so far it has supported over 200 refugees and asylum seekers. And as you can imagine, Michael, it's a very lonely experience for many refugees and asylum seekers having had to leave their home and uh, everything that they know and possibly all their belongings as well mm. and come to a strange country where they don't speak the language etc etc and there's a, a new culture that they have to learn so the befriending service is really really helpful to them mm. in that regard okay uh, uh, it's Unfortunate for many reasons uh, and unfortunate uh, that today when you hold this uh, event uh, that we're being told uh, that any man coming to the country looking for international protection from now for the foreseeable future uh, will be told there is no accommodation available for them and that they will have to sleep on the streets. It's a very worrying development, isn't it? Well, to be honest with you, Michael, I don't really want to get into that this morning, if that's okay with you. I think the focus for us is to do what we can Mm. with the resources that we have. And as I say, the Befriending Service, which we're marking today as part of International Volunteer Day, is a really important resource for new people coming to the country. Okay, the Minister for Integration will be there. I imagine he'll be asked about it, if nothing else, by uh, members of of, uh, the media. I think there'll be a a lot of concern in uh, that respect to Grania. But regardless of whether people are are living in tents or elsewhere, as you say, it's a a very difficult circumstance that they find themselves in. Uh, And fortunately, there are people who have volunteered to 
provide this befriending service. Uh, it's not all give. Uh, you're presenting research today to talk uh, about uh, the benefits of volunteering. Absolutely. So it's quite amazing, really, Michael, because Ireland is such um, a well-known country for volunteering. If you look at the number of charities, community groups, volunteer groups all over the country. But yes, there has been very little research done. And so in actual fact, one of the colleagues in Sparassi, Deirdre Markey, is currently doing her master's in this area. And she is presenting some of the research findings from the study that she has done. And it is focused really on the spirituality of volunteering. And, of course, that that may sound a little bit religious or whatever, but it's not. Because certainly the, the idea is that the greatest happiness is to be found in the service of others. And, you know, all religious philosophies are none uh, say that kind of thing. So Deirdre has done some uh, research to see what is it that motivates people to volunteer and then once they do volunteer, if you like, what's in it from, for them. And it would appear that it's an extraordinarily positive experience for somebody who takes on a volunteering role. So, you know, given the number of charities we have in Ireland at the moment, given the fact that there isn't very much research in this country about the importance of volunteering. It's quite timely today and obviously again in the context of uh, International Volunteer Day that we're in a position to present the findings from Deirdre's research. Very good. Uh, At the same time though, uh, I take it uh, you have to prepare yourself uh, for hearing uh, about very difficult situations that people have been in before they come here, let alone the difficulties in trying to establish a new life for themselves in this country. Uh, And uh, that uh, is a very big challenge for a a lot of people, I imagine, because a a lot of the problems that we're talking about are, are things that we could never imagine uh, let alone contemplate uh, and will never have to live with uh, in a rich uh, safe country such as Ireland. Yes, I, I would say that's very much the case, Michael, but in Sparassi we're very, very conscious of that and so there are lots of training uh, approaches taken both for staff and for volunteers to help them to deal with the challenges of listening to other people's trauma. So we provide a lot of of training um, and counselling services internally. But specifically for the befriending programme, it isn't a question of, uh, oh, great, Michael, thank you, you've you've agreed to volunteer. Um, Here is uh, somebody that you can befriend and off off with you. Mm. We don't approach it like that at all. There's, it's taken very seriously because it is very much about um, the, the give and take between the two people. And it's also, we need to be conscious, as you say, of providing and equipping the volunteer with the resources to deal with some of the horrific stories that they will hear during the course of their befriending. But that's across mm. the board, mm. as I say, in Sparazzi because of the nature of what we deal with. Uh, and what's involved in it from a time point of view? I take it you have to commit a, a certain amount of time. 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, from from um, I suppose the 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 way that the befriending program works is that the the volunteer is only ready, if you like, to go out into the field when it's deemed that they have sufficient uh, training and so on and so forth. And certainly the feedback that we have had from the befriendees, as we call them, um, is tremendous. And they have found this support really good because uh, they have this one-to-one person that they can talk to about cultural issues, um, learn a bit of English, because obviously many refugees and asylum seekers, their first language is not English. Mm. And um, so it's it's a very holistic approach that we take in Sparasi. And the, the, the client, the person that we're serving is at the heart of everything that we do. Mm. Uh, and one-to-one, face-to-face meetings, uh, uh, how often? Um, as regularly as the befriendee and the befriender um, are, are happy to do. So there's no hard and fast rules in that regard, Michael. It's very much about uh, two people, who, uh, one of whom has been trained to uh, expect certain things and deal with certain uh, traumas that the other person has faced. Um, and then uh, it's, it's up to those two people to uh, make their own arrangements. And then, obviously, if there are any difficulties, uh, which there are not, usually that hasn't been the case, but they are fed back to the coordinator and she and her colleagues deal with anything that needs to be dealt with. All right, as you mentioned earlier on, Grania, um, uh, there's been over 200 refugees and asylum seekers uh, who have had volunteers uh, act as uh, friends under this befriending service for them since uh, 1999 when Sparassi uh, was established. Uh, you've helped over 6,500 victims and survivors of torture for that matter. It's uh, pretty intense work that you do today. You're hosting this uh, event today at the Centre for Forest Migration Studies in Trinity College uh, and there'll be a lot going on. Are people welcome to turn up uh, if they wish to attend? Well, we we have actually, it's an invite-only event, Michael. Um, We have... um, sent out invitations and because I'm pleased to say the response has been so positive uh, we've had to close off the invitation list um, but certainly uh, they will be able to read about it on our website uh, in the coming days mm. and we probably have some photographs up there as well for anybody that's interested. Very good, well that's a good complaint. Having said that, uh, it, it doesn't uh, prohibit somebody v- from volunteering, uh, I'm sure. So how, how can people go about that? So the best thing to do is to go on to the Sparassi website, so that's sparassi.ie, and uh, just find the befriending service. And there's information there for anybody who would like to volunteer and uh, undergo the training and so on and so forth. You know, because obviously um, we have to be cautious in the way that volunteers are selected. Uh, Michael, are you able to hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly, yes. Oh, yeah, sorry, because there's, <laughs> a, a, there's, an echo at, there's an echo at this end. My apologies. Oh, okay. I'm at my so, apologies. Anyway, 
Yeah, no, not at all. Just once you can hear me. Um, so obviously there is a, an assessment process because, you know, not everybody um, is going to be cut out to, to do this particular service. But we have other volunteer opportunities uh, that come up from time to time as well. So I think that the website is always the best uh, way of making contact with us in that regard. OK, well, it's fascinating and I'm sure very important work uh, that you do and I, I'm sure that some of our listeners will be interested. Sparassi.ie for more information. Grania, thank you very much for joining us on the programme today. Grania O'Rourke, a member of the Sparassi Board. Call Michael now. 041-983-2000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. This Christmas, it's the perfect time to let loved ones know how much they mean to you. And nothing shows love at Christmas quite like post. And don't forget, the last day for posting to Northern Ireland is Tuesday 19th of December. Send from the heart. On post. For your world. T's and C's apply. How do we keep moving forward? By focusing on what matters. It's why Cupra is making such an impact in Ireland. From the bold styling of the plug-in hybrid fermenter to the agile handling of the sporty Leon range and the all-electric Cupra-born e-boost function delivering instant power at the touch of a button. So what would you like to do? Stick with what you know? or embrace the irresistible momentum of Cupra. Search Cupra Official for our latest offers or visit Western Motors Cupra Drogheda. It's Christmas at Millbrook Market and we have stocked up on all your foodie treats. Spoil yourself with our amazing desserts, indulgent cakes, fabulous hampers and a huge selection of party foods. Not to mention our spectacular range of gluten-free goodies. Why not give someone you love a Millbrook Market voucher? Make your money go further this Christmas at Millbrook Market. Amazing value. It's important to take care of yourself when you're feeling unwell. And if you have symptoms of a virus, flu or COVID-19, the best thing to do is to rest up and stay at home. Because you won't just be taking care of yourself, you'll be helping to protect other people too. People close to you, like family and friends, and people you've never even met who might be at higher risk than you. And don't forget to visit hse.ie for advice on getting better. From the HSE. Michael at lmfm.ie the Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with uh, those investigations. Garda Kate Patterson joins us for this week's report. And thank you indeed for doing so. We're going to start with a serious assault that occurred in Black Rock uh, on Sunday just gone by. Good morning, Michael. Yes, that's right. So we'll start with um, an incident which took place. Um, it's been investigated by Gardaí in Blackrock and on Dockguard stations. It was a serious assault in which a male received facial injuries, including a number of lacerations. The injured party in this instance reported to Gardaí that he was set upon by a male who isn't known to him when he was leaving a licensed premises in the main street of the village of Blackrock, County Lives, 
just after 2am on Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Unfortunately, the male who was injured in the attack wasn't to be able to describe the assailant. So the Guardian in Blackrock and Dundalk are requesting that any witnesses, including anybody who may have dash cams or mobile phone footage, contact Dundalk Garda Station. And the number in Dundalk is 042-938-8400. OK, next uh, to Hackball's Cross, uh, where Garda are investigating a burglary that uh, occurred last Thursday. That's right, Michael. So Garda and Dramad and Hackball's Cross Garda Stations are investigating a burglary which took place in the Barronstown area of Hackwalls Cross on Thursday, November the 28th, sometime between the hours of 7am and 7pm. The occupants of the dwelling left their home to travel to work at 7am on the morning of the incident and on their return at 7pm, they discovered that their home had been completely ransacked. Now, entry to the dwelling was gained via a rear patio door which was broken by the culprits whilst gaining entry. Thankfully, no property is as of yet believed to have been stolen, but investigating guardians do believe that the culprits in this instance were seeking jewellery or cash, as every room in the home was completely ransacked. Now, unfortunately, to date, despite inquiries, the make or model of the vehicle which may have been involved in this incident is not known, so we are seeking the assistance of persons residing in Barrington and wider cross areas. Um, question that anybody with CCTV or dash cam footage to check the scene to ascertain if they've come across anything suspicious, any suspicious vehicles or any activity in the area on the day of the crime. And um, I just remind your listeners of that day. It was last Thursday, the 28th of November, between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. So if you have any information which you believe may assist us, we would ask that you contact and dock our station or indeed any guard station convenient to you. Okay, we've another burglary to report on this time at an apartment in Dundalk. This occurred on Sunday, just gone by. Yes, Michael. So, detectives in Dundalk are investigating a burglary and the theft of a bicycle from the property on the Dublin Road in Dundalk just last Sunday, past the 3rd of December. The house woke to find from his home overnight. I'm sorry, Kate. Can I can I just stop you there? Um, the, the the mobile phone you're on is breaking up. I, I'm not sure if uh, you've moved or if that can be improved on. Uh, but we lost what you were saying there. Uh, you were saying that a number of items were stolen, including an amplifier and a mountain bike. I think. Yes, Michael. Sorry about that. Um, an amplifier and a mountain bike were believed to have been stolen from this male's home overnight. Now, there was no sign of forced entry and we do believe that this 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 incident was a very opportunistic crime. So we were asking your listeners to be vigilant when it comes to the sale of second-hand property at at this time of year and following this incident in particular to watch out for a music amplifier and a red Apollo men's mountain bike which may pop up for sale at markets and online. If you have any information which can assist in the investigation of this crime, we request that you contact and dock Garda Station. I'll give you the number again there, Michael. It's 042-938-8400 or, as always, the Garda Confidential Line. And the number for it is 1800 666 
Okay, and then we go to a, a road traffic collision that uh, occurred three weeks ago on the Inner Relief Road. Uh, Gardy hoping uh, that somebody listening today might have some information on this particular incident. Yeah, so the, the, the Guardian and Dock now are investigating the circumstances surrounding a traffic collision which took place, as you said, three weeks ago on Monday the 13th of November, sometime between quarter past three and half past three in the afternoon on the N52, which would be locally known as the Inner Relief Road in Dundalk. The collision, which involved three vehicles, took place opposite Dutchie's Fitness, and two of the vehicles involved included a black Ford Focus and a black Volkswagen Jetta. Any person travelling on the N52 at this time who may have witnessed the collision or who may be in possession of dash cam or mobile phone footage are asked to contact Dundalk Garda Station or the Garda Confidential Line. Okay, uh, and we uh, stay uh, in Dundalk and another incident that happened in around uh, three weeks ago, this uh, is to do with a van that was set on fire. Yes, Michael, so this is an arson which took place in the Barrack Street area of Dundalk, like you said, three weeks ago. Um, an investigation is currently ongoing to this arson attack in which a vehicle was significantly damaged. It took place in the early hours of Wednesday, the 15th of November, at approximately 1.15am, opposite the Simon Community Building in the Barrack Street area of Dundalk. A grey Lada Samara with a European registration plate was set alight, and Guardi are requesting that anyone who was in the area at the time and who may have noticed anything suspicious to please get in touch with us. We would request that anyone who may have been driving in this location at the time check their dash cam to see if they captured anything in which which may assist the investigation. Or if you were present in the Barrack Street area at the time, did you notice anything strange or untoward? As always, any information can be passed on by contacting the Dock Garda Station. The number there is 042-938-8400. Um, or indeed on the Garda Confidential line, um, it's number being 1800 All right, and we'll conclude uh, today with uh, domestic violence and indeed uh, the 16 Days campaign and on Garda Shia Khan's involvement in that campaign. That's right, Michael. We're currently taking part and have a huge involvement in the 16 Days of Activism, which is a gender-based, uh, which is a campaign, sorry, against gender-based violence. Now, this campaign is running from the 25th of November, which was the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, and it runs until the 10th of December, which is the International Day of Human Rights. This campaign is aimed at reaching out to communities all across Ireland, offering support, reassurance and protection to victims of domestic, sexual and gender-based violence. Domestic, sexual and gender-based violence um, are all crimes and we would like to remind the listeners, your listeners, that you do not need to be bruised to be abused. Agarda Shukana are here to help and if you do not feel safe or need help, we would urge you to contact your local Garda station or if you are in serious or immediate danger and you need our help urgently, please don't wait and please call 999 or 112 immediately. Now, the Garda website at the minute and our social media sites will be providing this advice through a number of different languages throughout the 16 days of activism in attempt to reach out to those who may be further isolated due to language barriers. 
So if anybody finds themselves in that position or knows somebody in that position, please check out our Facebook and our Instagram pages as we have further information uploaded on them. Very good. Thank you indeed. Garda Kate Patterson, Community Policing Family Liaison Officer at Dundalk Garda Station. And we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Some comments before we go. Sheila, wishing Helen McEntee the best of luck today uh, when um, the Sinn Féin motion is tabled against her. Excellent job, she says to the Minister. Liam says he's discussed it with all of the parties. There's 26 counties in Ireland and it's not just Dublin that needs plenty of Garda on the streets every town across the country is starved for a guardie and it's not the fault of the guardie. They should be given the powers to do their job and let get on with it. Frank says he respects Helen McEntee but has no confidence in the minister uh, because uh, the shops in Dublin are suffering this Christmas and it's not correct to say that the streets of Dublin are safe. That's all we've time for. God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.